John chapter 6, it's a long chapter. It's got 71 verses, so we're going to go all the way towards the end. But I, I want to begin at verse 60 just for context. Jesus had been teaching in the synagogue. I'm going to go back and talk to you a little bit about it at Capernaum. But in verse 60, after he had taught the things that he did in the synagogue, many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, they said... This is a hard saying, who can hear it? Now, if you were in my class at 10 o'clock, what do you think would make somebody say that what Jesus was teaching was hard? It was a spirit of poverty because they did not understand how much he loved them. All of the people that smacked him and spit on him and, and beat him, they did not know that he came. He was doing what he was doing because he loved them. So it's easy to stand back and say, well, what the Lord's asking me to do is, that's hard. But it's, it's for my good. They said it's, it's a hard thing. Who can hear it? Now, verse 61, if you just read this in a hurry, it'll freak you out because you don't pay attention to what he's saying. But when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured, he didn't hear them. He knew in his heart what they were saying in their heart. And when he knew that, he asked them this question, does this offend you? What would you do if while pastor was preaching, I heard your heart and I looked at you and said, does this offend you? You'd know he knew a little something then, wouldn't you? He said, what and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh that profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Somebody say, they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. This is one of the most heartbreaking scriptural truths of being a pastor. That there will be some, no matter what you preach, that will not believe what you're saying. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I not unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given him of my father. Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back. And they walked no more with him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve. And he said, you going too? Are you going to leave us? You going to leave me? Then Simon answered, in him, answered him. And this is where I really want us to focus our attention this morning. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Some people listened to his words and said, who in the world could do that? That's hard. Peter said, Lord, there's nowhere else I could go. Because you have the words of eternal life. He said, and we believe and we are sure that thou art the Christ. When you believe. And you are sure of who he is. Then you don't ever have to wonder whether or not he's working for your good. I want to preach to you today with the help of the Lord. Where shall I go? Where? Where shall I go? Would you reach your hands towards heaven? God, let your word. Let it speak to our hearts today. God, there's hungry people here. There's hungry people here that need a word from heaven. And only you, God, only you will get the glory. When this day is over and somebody's life has been transformed and renewed, God, you're going to get the glory. When we walk out of here and somebody's course of destiny has forever been changed, God, you're going to receive the glory. And for this, we'll give you all the thanks. 
the gratitude. Our hearts are overwhelmed today. In Jesus' name, let the church say amen. Would you give the Lord a great big hand clap of praise today? You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Long around verse 41, we pick up something that is an all too common occurrence with people that get comfortable with being around Jesus. And I say being around Jesus because it is possible to be around him but not know him. We're in a society where honestly everybody knows who he is. They know about him. You'd be hard pressed to find somebody who would not say to you that they don't, they don't know who Jesus is. I say it very respectfully that even people of every religion and background know who Jesus is. Muslims know who Jesus is. Buddhists know who Jesus is. The Hare Krishnas know who Jesus is. So knowing who he is and choosing to follow him are two different things. And the Bible tells us that there were so many people that followed after him and saw the works that he had done, yet when he started asking them to really follow him, in other words, when the loaves and the fish had been blessed, broken, and partaken of, the, the, the crowd thinned out. When people want to see miracles, they'll follow. But when the miracle is over and he asks you to start following after him, all of a sudden you realize it's actually going to cost me something to follow Jesus. Now, before you get caught up in thinking that this is just Pentecostal rhetoric and some preachers up here trying to twist your emotions and make you believe that, that uh, it, it is something the church wants you to do to follow hard after him, I want to I tell you, Jesus established very clearly the very number one prerequisite of Christianity. Before anyone had ever been called a Christian at Antioch, Jesus establishes the number one prerequisite for being a Christian. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. And Jesus said that if any man comes after me, let him deny himself. If you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to deny yourself. You cannot seek in every opportunity of life to make yourself happy and, sense, uh, and, and, and reach for self-gratification if you want to please the Lord. I'm telling you, sometimes in order to tell God yes, you're going to have to tell your flesh no. If you are going to tell God yes, you're going to have to tell some friends no. If you are telling God yes, you're going to have to tell the gods of this world no. If you're going to say yes to God, you're going to have to say no to a love for this present world. This is not just apostolic preaching. This is not just something that a Pentecostal preacher made up and put in some Bible curriculum. I want you to know the word of the Lord said that if any man loves the world or the things that are in the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. It is not wrong for you to believe that if you're going to serve the Lord, it will literally cost you everything in your life. If you're going to follow after him, you don't follow him one service a week. You don't follow after the Lord on Sunday morning and then forget about him the rest of the week. No, sir. Calvary was not for a single 24-hour experience. It was so that I could wake up every morning and face the day knowing that God is with me. And if God is with me, then God is for me. I can wake up every day of my life, even in the midst of the greatest trial and tragedies that I've ever faced, knowing it is the will of God to bless me. It is the will of God for me to come through this. Yes, I'm facing a hard time. Yes, I'm climbing a mountain. But God is with me. 
I'm reaching for somebody in the Holy Ghost today to tell you that you may feel forsaken, but you are not forsaken. We've got to quit believing that everything we feel is the truth. Church family, I don't want to make anybody, now I, I, don't, want to, I don't want anybody that really truly believes your pastor is so spiritual that I float six inches off the ground most of the time and speak in tongues 26 hours a day. I don't want to make you think that I'm part human, okay? But I want to tell you that this week, I have felt feelings of hopelessness. I have felt feelings of emptiness. I have, I have felt feelings of panic. I'm not saying I had anxiety attacks. I'm just saying, if you live life long enough, you're going to feel pressure. You're going to feel stress. You're going to feel hopeless. You're going to wonder if it's ever going to end. But I'm going to tell you the difference in me and you and everybody else in this world. The difference is what I put my hope in. The difference is what I put my trust in. Because I can tell you this about God. God is good when I have an answer. And God is good when I'm looking for answers. God is good when my body's healthy. And God is good when I didn't get the report I wanted. God does not cease being good because of what I feel. Well, the judge didn't rule in our favor. No, but the judge will. I feel like that answer should have been different. But apparently God did not. There is something so valuable about understanding that even when I feel out of control, God has never felt that way. Folks, listen to me. Your creator has never, somebody shout never. Your creator has never been surprised. There's a, there's a gospel song. I don't think we'll ever be able to do in this church because it's just not, it's just, it's just an old song. I like it. But it says, has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? Let that sink in. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing occurs to God? Now, I've, I've started, I've tried to quit it. But I've started many days in my life where when I sit up, I sit on the side of the bed and I'm like, I don't know. Come on. There ain't no liars in this house today. Sit up on the bed and say, I just, I've tried, but I don't, I don't think, I, I don't know. And I know some of you have said up, and the next thing you said is, I don't know, so I think I'm just going to call pastor. <laughs> Those are fun conversations. You know, I've done that a lot. I, I try not to anymore. When I wake up now, I'm still human. I do, I do it sometimes probably. I can't tell you the last time I have, but I'm going to tell you what I've tried to start doing. When I get up, I don't care if it's 3.30 or 6.30. Or whatever, I don't want the first thing out of my mouth to be, I don't know. I want the first things out of my mouth to be something like this. This is the day that the Lord, I feel better just saying that. Do you hear me? This is the day that the Lord hath made. Come on, when the farmer wakes up and the rain has flooded his field, he can't sit on the edge of the bed and say, what am I going to do? What about my harvest? Hey, I know the master of the wind. And I know the maker of the rain. If he don't calm the storm and make the sun shine right now, he'll figure out a way to bless me before it's all said and done. I know you may have lost your job, but God has another job lined up for you because God does not forsake his children. It's a, it's a bad place to be when you feel, you just feel overwhelmed and I don't, what am I going to do? And oh God, the whole world is against me. You know, 
We've got plenty of scripture for this, and I, I don't want to stay here for too long, but we've got plenty of scriptural precedent for this, that real men and women of God felt that way. The Bible said the prophet Elijah goes in, into a cave. He had, just, he had literally just seen hundreds of men slain by the power of the Lord. He had seen the 400 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of the grove that were slain. And then he stands up and gets a letter from one woman, manipulative, dark, Jezebel. And she says, by this time tomorrow, I'm going to kill you. And that man walks off and goes into a cave. And he said, well, I guess I'll just suck my thumb right here and die. And the Lord reaches down and gets a hold of him and said, you need to know something, boy. There's 7,000 that's never bowed a knee. You are not by yourself. You are not alone. Hey, I want to remind somebody in the Holy Ghost today. If the devil could have killed you, you would have already been dead. If the devil could control you, he would have already taken you out. But I'm here to preach to you this morning. God is on your side. You go ahead and sit in that cave for a day. Go ahead and sit in that cave and let yourself heal a little bit. Get on in there and do whatever you need to do. But you need to know this. When the sun comes up, you're not alone. And God is fighting for you. And you may feel weak in the battle, but you're still anointed. So we, we, know, we, know, that God, we know that God is with us. But sometimes when he starts asking things of us, it feels pretty heavy. It feels like it's almost unfair. Not that anybody in this building has ever looked at God and said, but that's unfair. But they do that in other churches, I want you to know. There are other people that attend other churches that have other pastors that have looked at God. Thank God not here. I'm just preaching, hoping they'll watch this online. But in this church, no one has ever questioned God and said, but I don't understand why. If you believe that, you believe baloney. There's a good chance, more than likely, the person that's sitting next to you has said something similar to that this week. But God, I've done my best. But you hadn't seen his best yet. When I've done my best, there's nothing else that God can ask of me. So what I've got to start doing is asking his best. With man, it is impossible. But with God, all things. I wish somebody believed that right now. It's hard for me to stand in one place and preach that because I believe it. I said, but with God, all things are possible. How possible are they? They are four days dead and now stink possible. Your brother has been laying there for four days and now he stinks. But when he stepped up to that, uh, to that tomb and he said, roll away the stone, he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. He didn't come forth when it was too early. He came forth when it was too late. I'm here to preach to you that he's still an on-time God. He's an on-time God. And the struggle that people had with Jesus' ministry was not that he did heavenly things, but that he was earthly and required things of them in the earth. You've heard me say it, and I believe it. I think talk is cheap. That's why so much of religion loves to stop at confession. Because if, if all you have to do is confess, it's easy. But when you confess and you believe and you put some works with that faith, James said that if you tell me about your faith without works, he said, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. I'm going to do something in my life to show you that I really believe what I'm saying about him. 
And not everything in my life has to be a heaven or hell issue as to what I'm doing with work. Sometimes I just do it because I love him. Some of my holiness separates me from the world. And other things that I do separate me unto God. So I do things that distance me from the world, and I do things that draw me closer to God. And I want to tell you that you can't have one of those without the other. You can't get closer to God without distance from the world. And if you start distancing yourself from the world, you will get closer to God. And that's why we do some of the things that we do. Not so that I can stand up and say, look at my righteousness. Oh, no, my righteousness is still as filthy rags. But the closer I get to his heart, the more I realize he's not really against me. And he's not really trying to kill me. God is working for my good. And so they really struggled with that because he was earthly. And he said heavenly things. And he, start, he starts talking to them when the Jews start murmuring in verse 41. And he said to them, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now stay with me on this right here. And they, they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now, before y'all get quick jumping on these murmuring Jews, I want to tell you, you've done the same thing. God starts using somebody, and you're like, you know who their mom and dad are? You know, that's old Billy Ray's son right there that come in. You know old Billy Ray. Is there any good thing that can come out of Nazareth? He said, I'm the bread that came down. And they said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore, and he answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man, here it goes. Y'all ready? You got seatbelts ready. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written of the prophets, they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Nor that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Watch this now. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. That's kind of cold and abrupt, isn't it? He said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they are dead. But this, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven. I wasn't there, but I got to believe I could see him putting his hand on his chest. This, this is the bread. This right here is the bread which has come down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which has come down from heaven. And if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. If Jesus wants me to eat it, he'll feed it to me. Jesus said, if you want to eat it, you'll come get it. This is reverse. If God wants me, he'll just just bring it to me and make me do it. Newsflash. God ain't going to make you do anything. God don't make you love him. God don't make you serve him. God doesn't make people faithful. People make people faithful. Decisions make people faithful. I tell you, when you're a baby, when you're a baby, all all they got to do is get the nipple of that bottle somewhere close and you start hunting. You watch them little old babies. It's so funny. When we were little, I, when my kids were little, I used to laugh at it because when they'd get hungry, I know this is mean, Mom, so that's why I never told you, but I'd take, I'd take my kids when they were hungry, and I'd just, I'd just touch their jaw like that with my pinky. 
I thought it was funny. Set the other side. They start looking. These, these, are, these, are, these are kids that are hungry, and they don't know any better, so, so you bring it to them. But you know, you know when you start getting trouble is when kids have to decide if they want to eat. Because when you're just giving them a, a, a bottle of mama's milk or, or, or whatever it is you're, you're giving them, when you're giving them that bottle, they're young enough, they don't know any better, they, they, just, they just eat. But I want to tell you what happens the first time you put green peas on that plate and they don't like it. They start in immediately. Ugh. How many of y'all got kids that have never tasted it in their life and openly declare, I hate them? Like, come on, baby, eat your spinach. No, it's gross. I hate it. Really? When was the last time you ate it? Never, and I don't plan on starting because it's gross. We love, 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 love that feeling that we get when we come to church and it's all about, uh, all about the goosebumps. Woo! And then the Spirit puts a little self-denial on the plate and slides it our direction. We love the miracle signs and wonders, but when the Spirit slides that self-denial and consecration across the table, we say, that's gross, I don't like it. I'm not going to eat it. It don't work. Can I tell you, the only people that will tell you that fasting doesn't work are people that don't fast. <laughs> I'm probably not making Dale Carnegie very happy today. This is not how you win friends and influence people. You don't preach on self-denial to influence people and make good friends. When the Spirit of the Lord starts sliding things across the table, it says, you can't go there anymore. You say, I'm not going to eat that. Because ain't nobody going to tell me what I can and can't do. Now, I'm going to be honest. Probably too honest. But there's a really good chance you can find some preacher out there that will tell you, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's okay. You don't need to. But you're in the wrong house this morning for me to lie to you. <laughs> I love you too much to lie to you. I'm going to tell you this morning. When the Spirit starts asking something of you, it's time to break out the utensils, put on your bib, and say, Lord, whatever it is your Spirit's feeding me, that's what I want. That's what I want to do. I desire to please you. God, if you're calling me to a three-day fast, I'll start it when you tell me this week. If you're calling me to seven days, I'll give you seven. If you're calling me to a prayer room and getting out of bed an hour earlier every day, I'll set my alarm tomorrow morning. I don't know if y'all like it when I share personal stories or not, but I, I'm going to do it. The Lord woke me up early the other morning. I got on this little streak where it was kind of weird. I knew it wasn't really like warfare because that usually happens. When I wake up between 3 and 4 a.m., it's usually warfare. But the Lord started waking me up around 5 o'clock, between 5 and 5.30, and I'd just get up and slip out, go to the living room and pray for a while. Until my wife would get up for, uh, get ready for school and all that. And I'd, I had several days, you know, where I was pretty tired and had, had strung some things together. So the Lord woke me up. It was just real gentle. He woke me up and I reached over and looked at my clock. And I said, man, it is so early. And I said, Lord, as soon as I get up, I'll go down to the church and spend some time with you. And I rolled over and went back to sleep. And when I woke up, I'm telling you, I was so convicted. It wasn't what the Lord said. It was that little absence that I felt. Come on, somebody. I know I got some bloody toes up in here right now. But you can't say nothing because I'm telling you about me. And I got up and I said, Lord, where is your presence? What? What is this? And he said, I tried to talk to you this morning. I said, God, if you'll wake me up tomorrow morning, I'll be early for the appointment. I went to bed. I prayed that day. But listen, I'm telling you, 
You can pray an hour every single day of your life and still miss an appointment. You can pray an hour a day just so that you do it for the discipline of it. But if he comes calling and you've missed that appointment, that, that next hour you pray doesn't make up for what you just missed. I rolled out of the bed. Well, yesterday we had a big day. It was a crazy big day. The Lord rolled me out at 3.30 Saturday morning. I got up. I went in the living room. I said, God, I don't know why I'm up right now. And I don't know who you sent me in here to talk to you about. But I said, God, whoever it is right now, I'm, I'm obeying you. And whatever it is, and I just started praying, cover my kids, Lord, cover my babies, cover my wife, cover our home. I started praying for some of you, God, if it's so-and-so, whatever it is, Lord, you know. If it's somebody that needs healing, just started calling names before the Lord. And, and God is my witness. Yesterday morning, I got a text from the other side of the world that shook me of somebody who had been in grave danger where they were. Something had happened that scared them. The government of a nation had scared them. They texted me and said, Brother St. Clair, I want you to pray. And I told Bishop yesterday, I said, now I believe I know why the Lord woke me up. Hey, I'm telling you, I would hate to think that I missed the appointment that God was calling on me to pray for you. I would hate to think that God was rolling you out of bed to pray for somebody and your prayer would be the prayer of healing that would heal their body. Oh, pastor, I guess you just think everything's predicated on you. Sun rises and falls on you. I guess what you're saying is if you wouldn't have got up, then whatever bad was going to happen would have happened anyway. If you believe that, it's hogwash. But I'm going to tell you this. When he comes calling, you better answer. And I'm going I'm to tell, tell you what's worse than just missing it. And this is a fact. My mama raised me to feel this way. But I'm going to tell you what's worse than missing it is after you've missed it, you find out somebody else found it. Yeah. Been in meetings where I knew, I knew God gave me the interpretation of tongues. And I was scared to open up my mouth. And about five seconds later, boom, somebody all the way across the church would start, thus saith the Lord. Come on now. This ain't no dead church right here because when the Holy Ghost says, get out and run. Anybody in here ever been in that service and you felt the nudge of the Spirit saying, don't you stand there and act like you've been baptized in pickle juice? You'll feel the Spirit of the Lord say, if you'll run, I'll break this thing. If you'll step out in the aisle and dance, I'll break this thing. And you don't do it. And about five seconds later, somebody steps out in the aisle and they take off. That's a worse feeling when you stand and say, I know I miss God. You're on the other side of the church and the Lord says, go pray for them. They've been discouraged. You're like, what if they, what if they don't want me to pray for them? And you're standing there arguing with God and all of a sudden some, sister, some precious sister gets up and walks right over and starts praying with me. You're like, well, I guess I miss God. Is there anybody in here besides me and my mother that know what I'm talking about? When he calls, when he calls, I want to answer. The Jews, he started calling. They said, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. Because now he's saying things that I don't like, don't make sense to me. I know where he came from, but he's saying that he is a bread come down from heaven. No. You think you know where he came from. Because Joseph is nothing but his caretaker that's going to name him. Joseph is not the one that sent him. He was sent by the Spirit of God. That he encapsulates as the image of the invisible God. You think you know him because you see where he came from in the flesh. But he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. The Jews, therefore, strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us flesh to eat? They start thinking he's talking about cannibalism. Literally. They think he's talking about cannibalism. Where was it the Jews were striving among themselves in verse 52? I love this. They were striving among themselves. Verse 53, then Jesus said to them, 
How do you know what they were striving with among themselves? Because he knows. He hears the things that we're dealing with in our heart. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the blood of the Son of Man and drink his blood, eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Now the picture's becoming clear. He's not asking for cannibalism. He's saying, he that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Now we're starting to see the picture of what he's talking about. Whosoever will take on my name in baptism in that blood, I'm buried into Christ. I dwell in him. And whosoever, whosoever, whosoever will take of that flesh, whoever will take of my flesh, I dwell in him. Hey, I want to tell you right now, it still takes the blood and it still takes the flesh. If it took them to get out of Egypt at the Passover, it's going to take it for us to get out of here in the rapture. They didn't know what to do with him. He said, they dwell in me and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. He said these things in the synagogue. But many of his disciples, when they had heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who could hear it? When he started calling them to a life of sacrifice, many disciples that loved him while he was working miracles said, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I'm done. I'm finished. I like it better when there's an evangelist and we're having revival and it feels good. Church family, hear me when I tell you today that the crowd gets way thinner the closer you get to the cross. If you start following, if you start following, there's 5,000 men plus their wives and their kids when loaves and fish are being passed out. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? There's 12 that followed him out. There was three with him in the garden until those three fell asleep. And then he walked off by himself and had to pray all alone and ask him the question, could you not tarry with me one hour? Listen, the closer you get to the cross the less people there's going to be with you. It's going to be a smaller crowd. But I feel like encouraging somebody to let you know you are not alone. You are still the majority. His disciples left because it was a hard saying. But when Jesus knew this, he looked at them and said, Did I offend you? Are you offended by this? I don't want anybody lifting your hand today or saying anything right now. But I want to ask you this question in the Holy Ghost this morning. Does this offend you? Does it offend you when God speaks through his servant in the pulpit and says, you can't stay on the fringes anymore? God's not looking for somebody that's just an attender. He's look. oh God, would you help me, Holy Ghost? God's looking for somebody that says, Lord, whatever you ask of me. Whatever you ask of me, God, I'll do it. Lord, if I've got to look different than all my family, if I've got to do things different than all my, my grandmother taught me, than what my mother taught me, Lord, whatever you ask of me. You may be the first person in your family that has ever been baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of your sins. But the word of God said that you must be born again of water and spirit. Brother, I want to tell you today, if the Spirit's calling you, you better answer. Don't get offended at the Holy Ghost today. When the Holy Ghost says, I want you to be baptized in Jesus' name. I want you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They got up, they walked away. And in verse 67, Jesus turned unto the twelve, 
Somebody say the faithful. And he said, are you going to go too? And Simon Peter answered him with the answer that I want to submit to this church today. If you think it's so difficult to live for God, haven't you tried it another way? And what do you have to lose? I mean, I'm, I know some of your testimonies. I don't know everybody's testimony. But I know some of your testimonies in here. All I can tell you is your life is much better serving God than it was before you came. I was talking to somebody just the other day about a tragic ending, terribly tragic ending to a life and the pain and the consequences someone was suffering. And I wasn't saying this to be mean. I was asking the question sincerely to someone I was talking to. I said, don't you think it'd just be easier to serve the Lord? No, I mean, don't you believe? Oh, God. I just think Brother Jordan requires too much of our kids, man, wanting them to come early and pray and have, have all this youth service stuff. I mean, good grief. I, it's expensive enough to have to drive to church twice a week. Why in the world do I want to drive my kids all the way back there? Well, I can tell you this. You can drive them to youth service or you can drive them to a pregnancy clinic. Come on now. I'd rather drive my kids to youth service than I would have to, have to take them to a, 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 a drug addiction clinic. But I'm, I'm scared of what my kids are going to miss out on. Hey, I'm telling you, if your kids never go to a school dance, but they dance on streets of gold, it's going to be worth it. If your kids never sing in the school choir, but they sing in that city where the Lamb is a light, it's worth it. God, help me. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right now. I thank the Lord for the burden he's put in my children. And some of you, if you take this wrong, you're going to think it's being critical. I haven't taught my kids to be critical, I promise you. But the other day, these I'm talking about young. Oh, God, it was heartbreaking. Young little old girls came walking in and everything they owned was hanging out everything I just I guess I guess I telegraphed on my face they walked in I turned to look and I just looked away and I thought oh my, my goodness one of my girls leaned over and said dad would you kill us if we walked out dressed like that I said well you already know I don't want people making fun of my kids because they dress different than everybody at school. You ought to thank God your kids want to dress different. I don't want my girls, forgive me if I'm crude, I don't mean to be, but I don't want my girls running around in booty shorts and tank tops with their breasts hanging out and, and perverted men looking at my wife and my children. I thank God for people who would rather pay the price. Trying to figure out where I got all that. The other night I was sitting at a restaurant and this girl walked in. You could see from Dan to Beersheba. That's two tribes in Israel for those of you that were wondering. And I heard my bishop sitting in the restaurant say, good Lord, what in the world? I didn't even have to look. I wonder, you wonder where I get it. They walk in, and my mother starts it. Good Lord, did they paint that on? She calls my dad saint. And I've heard it many times in my life. Saint? You can see that girl's underclothes through her skirt. That don't make me proud, folks. 
Come on, I'm almost done. Thank God our kids have a desire to be different. And if if you've let the devil make you believe that by continually pushing your kids through, through the system of Satan's lies that your kids are going to be more successful, that's the biggest lie you've ever heard in your life. There is no greater success for your children than being faithful to the kingdom of God. They're not going to get a better education because you push them through the things of this world. It's not going to happen. I get passionate about this when I preach, but I'm I'm not going to serve my kids up like lambs to a bunch of wolves so that they can get a college education. It ain't going to happen. My daughter Lauren graduated two years ago from PCA. And when she graduated, we didn't know what to do. She was the first student we were having to deal with. She came out of PCA and enrolled in the local community college here. We went and sat down and talked with them. And they said, your grades look amazing. Everything looks perfect. We're going to take care of your school. My, my daughter that graduated from this school had a full ride, free college education. And so you know what she decided to do? Brother McLean, we need to go have coffee. She said, Dad. She said, I know my college is paid for next year. But I'd love to go to Bible college. Do something for God. You know what? I didn't know how I was going to do it. Honest to God, I didn't know. I was like, baby girl, this college you got right now is free. I'm not being mean. But I walked in one day, and Jake, she was on her computer in a Zoom class. She's going for for education to learn how to teach because her her goal in life is to teach in this Christian school. And I walked in, and Elder Shaw, I began to listen to what the professor was teaching. They said, in your class, you have got to learn what equality for sexes and LGBTQ and transgenders I walked in the other room and I told my wife, I said, I don't care if she goes to another day of that school. Well, pastor, that's just hardcore. They're going to have to learn to put up. I'm going to tell you, I'm putting my kids in the place where they have to put up with it the least. You can call me old-fashioned if you want to, but if I don't send my kids to prom night at school, I'll never have to, they'll never have to say no to promiscuous sex after the dance is over. Y'all feel that right there, don't you? You feel that tug in the room? You know what that is? That's a hard saying. And that right there is where the crowd gets up and walks out. They leave. And they say, we're not going to eat of the flesh and the blood. We'd just rather eat of the loaves and the fish. Are you hearing me this morning? And Jesus turns to the twelve. And he said, are you going to go too? And Peter said, Lord. He said, where? Where else is there? Where could we go? You have the words of eternal life. Can I reach for you as your pastor today and tell you whatever comes across this pulpit is not for it to be a hard saying. It's eternal life. I want my kids to be in a place. I want your kids to be in a place. I want your grandkids to be in a place. Not where people look at them and say you got to learn to coexist. No. I want them to be in a place where somebody says to them there will always be a difference in serving God and living in this world. We lift our hands. I'm finished right now. I want the music to come.
Where, where, where shall I go? God, where else could I go? Family, please hear me this morning. If your kids are having to beg you to bring them around the body of Christ, you ought to be ashamed. If you're grounding your kids, and I don't know that anybody has, I'm I, honest to God, if they have, I hadn't heard it, but if, if you're grounding your kids from youth service and youth events, oh, God, help us. Oh, I want everything in my life. Call me closed-minded if you want to. That's okay. I got broad shoulders. But I want everything I do in my life to be centered around the kingdom of God. I want it to be centered around the church of the living God. I want it to be centered around the fact that if I leave this, I've got nowhere else to go. I ask you the question today. If you decide that you're going to leave the Lord, where are you going to go? If you're going to leave the church, Where are you going to go? Where else is there? That's the problem with you Pentecostal preachers. You just think everything ought to be about church, 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 church. Tell me one thing better. me to live.